Well, good morning to you. I'm Mark. I'm sure glad you're here. Glad to be together. Hey, big shout out to Blend down the down the path a bit and a little bit further down the path here on the Harrison Lane campus is our AMP venue. Welcome. We're glad you're tuning in out there in Bearden and Roan County. Last week, Roan County at 930, they didn't get the, the message. The internet went down and they still had church. How about that? So, hey, Roan County, I hope you're getting it today. Hey to you. We're glad you're here. Glad to be together. And uh, we've been continuing a series starting last week entitled Listen. And the whole idea and the thought behind this series is that we would be a people who pass down our faith from this generation to the next generation. And last week, we uncovered and discovered a little bit about what that means. And, and it means being involved in an exclusive relationship. Following Jesus means that we'd be involved in an exclusive relationship, that we exclusively belong to him. And, and there's no other space and no other room in an exclusive relationship than, than just between you and I and God, anyone else. And that's the... That's the principle we landed on last week. We also talked about the whole idea of listening. It has everything to do with obedience. I think Dave talked about, hey, when you say, hey, did, did you clean your room? Yeah, I heard you, but did you do it? Listening has everything to do about our following Jesus and actually moving from not just hearing, but to obedience and to, to action. And so this week, we're going to move a little bit further. We've been looking at Deuteronomy chapter 6, and there's, a, there's an ancient prayer in there for modern families. Words given years and years ago that have everything to do with what and who God's called us to be today. And in, in this passage, what I believe God is doing through the person of Moses, he's having the DTR talk. You know what that is? DTR? Define the relationship. Any exclusive relationship has that DTR talk. And he goes, hey, if you're going to be in a relationship with me, here's what it's going to look like. And Moses hunkers down and gives us the DTR talk in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Take to heart these instructions with which I charge you this day. Impress them on your children. Recite them when you stay at home and when you're away, when you lie down and when you get up. Bind them as a sign on your hand and let them serve as a symbol on your forehead. Inscribe them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. He's calling us to, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, all our soul, and all of our might. And this weekend, we're going to unpack a little bit more. And it, it, it's obvious, and I'm not going to apologize for it being obvious, but to follow Jesus means we learn to love Jesus most. That's the big idea for the weekend, that we would learn to love Jesus most. So when we're talking about love, we need to have a definition of what love is. What, what, what is the definition of love according to the scriptures? And in Deuteronomy, it clearly says it's more than a feeling, right? It's more than a feeling. It's more than something we just feel. It's something we actually experience. It's a verb, and it's connected not only to our action, but also to our loyalty. Hear this word, to our loyalty to another. Love, ahava, the Hebrew word, to act lovingly toward or to be loyal to. The focus is not on our emotion, but it's on action, and specifically tied to loyalty that we have toward God and others. And understanding that this is what love and the love that we're called to be about has everything to do with us being followers of Jesus today. And it's important that we know this. Hear this, folks. We are expected to love Jesus most. We're expected to love Jesus most. And I know that sounds obvious. You're like, all right, well, that, that's the deal? That, that's what you got for us today? Absolutely. It's, it's probably the, one of the most simplest things I can say to you, the simplest thing that we can pull from the Scriptures. And, and in truth... For all of us, it's probably one of the hardest things we wrestle with day in, day out, that we would be a people who love Jesus most. 
We have a tendency sometimes to overthink things, to actually make things more complicated than they are. And in this defining the relationship talk that Moses is having with the people of God that has everything to do with you and I, how many years later? It's really a call for us to love, to love the way God's called us to love, that we be a people who love God and that we love him most. Now, I think it's important in life, generally speaking, that we have clarity around expectations, right? I want to know what's expected of me, whether it's in a classroom or it's a project or, or in a relationship. What's the expectation? I want to succeed at this thing, so what's the expectation? So sometimes things in our life far exceed our expectations. We have these expectations we have, and sometimes they don't. And when they don't, there's this tension and there's this conflict that exists in most, among many of us that we go, what, what, what? What, what and why am I not feeling connected? It feels like something didn't come through the way I wanted it to, and I live in this place of disappointment. So sometimes expectations far exceed, sometimes not. Back when our girls were in high school, 11th and 12th grade, I was leading trips to Israel at the time, and I thought, man, it would be awesome if we could take our kids to Israel. It was during the school year, it was in spring, and there's no way their teachers are going to allow this. So I had this expectation that maybe this would happen and work out, and they went to their teacher, and not only did they allow it and the principal allow it, he actually gave them credit for going, which was pretty exciting. So for months and months, like any big trip you're looking forward to, there's these expectations that continue to, to plant in your heart, plant in your mind, continue to build and grow. And along the months leading up to this, I wanted our kids, I wanted my wife and our, us as a family to experience something that I've experienced there before, where the scriptures come alive, where, where you walk where Jesus walked. And not that you can't live for Jesus if you haven't had a pilgrimage to Israel, but something about it for a visual learner for me unlocks so much of the scripture and so much of who God is. It was like, this is real. Not that I didn't know that, but it's real. And I wanted them to experience all of that. And as we were planning for this trip and excited about it, my expectations were building and growing. Their grandparents called, who I probably mentioned this to you before. Terry's parents are so godly that they probably have prayed for our kids more than we have. And they said, hey, could we join? Absolutely. So now six of us are headed to Israel. Incredible. And I got to tell you, when we got there, it was amazing. We walked where Jesus walked. They climbed the wall of the old city, looked into the old city. We, we actually spent time in Bethlehem. And, and, and when their grandfather was typically with us at Christmas time, he would sit down next to the fireplace or the Christmas tree and read the Christmas story. But this time he was reading the Christmas story in that church in Bethlehem, where here and near Jesus was born. Phenomenal. I got to baptize one of my daughters, Emily, in the Jordan River. It is chilly and cold and worth the trip. It was a beautiful experience, far exceeded my expectations, over the top, no discord, no disconnect in any way, shape, or form. Sometimes when we have expectations and, and hopes and dreams around something, it happens the way we hope and pray it does. But oftentimes in life, that's not reality. Oftentimes in life, our expectations are probably not met, and we find ourselves in this place of disappointment. And probably no place more common than this happens than in relationships, and in relationships, everybody doesn't think, feel, and believe the way I do. Have you noticed that? Everybody doesn't think, feel, and believe the way you do. And when someone else doesn't think, feel, and believe the way you do, what happens? There's this sense of this expectation, this disconnect that happens, and a disappointment that takes place in relationships. And so here Moses is drilling down in the earlier part of the scriptures, and he's bringing clarity. You want to know what it means to, to follow God? You want to know what this relationship's all about? You want, you want me to define it for you? He defines it for us in a very clear way. And let me take a side note for a second. We oftentimes think we have this perception of the scriptures. Hey, the Old Testament, man, that's all about rules and regulations. Give me the Jesus of the New Testament. That's all about relationship, right? That's not the case at all. 
In fact, I don't think you can make that argument. The, the Old Testament New Testament are all about relationship. The Old Testament and New Testament are all about standards and how we're supposed to live. And so Moses here, if you're going to attack the Old Testament and say it's all about rules and regulations, you can't make that argument. He's getting ready to prepare the people of God to move into the promised land. And, and he's not coming down off the mountain now with these ten in his hand and going, hey, get up, get up on board and, and, and follow these rules and regulations. What, what he's saying to these people as he defines the relationship, he goes, here's what I'm asking you to do. Here's, if you want things to go well with you, if you want to have a relationship, an exclusive relationship with God, here's what he's calling the people of God to do and calling us to do as well. Love God. He's calling us to relationship. I mean, that's personal. You can't look at the Old Testament and say that's all about rules. That's, that's as personal as you can get. And it's important for them because they can never be a people who love God if they're not a people who love God. They can never be that unless they actually are, are, are a people, not just generally speaking, but personally a people, persons who love God. And that's the call on their life. That's the call on our life. And later on, Jesus quotes the same, the same prayer, the same Shema, this repeated declaration of loyalty to God. He, when he's asked, hey, what, what's the greatest commandment? We'll get to this in a minute or so. He says, well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. That's, that's what Jesus said 1,500 years later. And, and Jesus speaking these same words from the words of Moses, God himself, is, is superseding culture, is superseding time. He's calling us to love God with, a, with an all-in kind of love. And, and you're probably sitting here going, well, that seems pretty obvious, Mark. Thanks for sharing. We should love God. Good talk. Glad we had that. And yet, it seems familiar. It seems right to us that we should love God. It seems right to us that we should love God most. We know scriptures like, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Yeah, that's, that's the expectation. In fact, Jesus gave his very life to have a relationship with us. He, he went all in. Do you get that? All in. Jesus went all in, and what he's saying to us in response, I want you to respond to me and my love for you and being all in. Being all in, respond with an all in kind of love to, to love me most. In my earlier days of walking with Jesus, I felt like I walked the aisle, literally I did, I walked the aisle, accepted Jesus as my personal Lord and Savior, believed he paid for all of my sins, and then for years I struggled with the guilt and shame of my sin. I must have missed something. I struggled with that. And I was like, God, I know you love me. I believe you love me. Help my unbelief. And, and yet my mind and my, my thoughts and my relationship with God was so consumed with convincing myself that what I, what I had accepted was true, that it was so distracting, that I was still so focused on God loving me, that, that I was lagging and deferring in my love back to him. God, God's called us to, to, to respond to this love that he's given us in love back to him. A relationship, any relationship, friendship, marriage, whatever, is reciprocal. It was always meant to be a two-way street. It was never meant to be one-sided. God says, I love you, absolutely. I've given my very son to provide a relationship with you, and here's what I'm expecting back, that you'd love me back in the very same way, that you'd be all in, that you'd love me most. That's the call. That's the place that God's called us to. And all of us who know God, I hope that every one of you that I can see and I can't see on screen and in different venues. I hope every one of you love God. And I hope you'd say, I love God. I love God. I hope that would be your response to what God's done for you and what he's, did, what he's given you. And yet I think we get jacked up sometimes when we think about what love means. 
You know, what, what is love? I think in our Americanized view of love, it's this overwhelming feeling that comes in and just takes over your body, mind, and soul, and you can't help but respond in a certain way. That's what love is. And I'd argue it is that. Actually, it is that. It is that with God. It's, that, it's oftentimes that in our relationship with God where, where we're just blown away, like leveled, floored, that God would know us, love us, have a relationship with us, and on top of that, provide and do things in our life that we never hoped, dreamed, or imagined. I had something like that happen to me yesterday morning, leveled in tears and emotion on the floor, blown out of the water that God would love me and love our family so much so that, that he would provide and do something miraculous and, and, and amazing. And I can't tell you what it is. Leveled. And I had all the feels. I'm a feeling kind of guy, so that's not hard for me to get to, but I had all the feels. That is love. That's the love that God wants us to have, but that's not where he's called us to live. The, the love that he's calling us to, this ahava love is tied to loyalty. It's tied to an allegiance. It's tied to a commitment to him. Sometimes the feelings follow, sometimes not. And yet God calls us to this beautiful space and this beautiful place, and he says, I want you to love me like I've loved you. And not just as one more person in our life to love. Like, I love lots of people. There's a lot of you in this room. I, I can honestly look you in the face and say, I love you. I love you. Maybe you feel the same toward me, hopefully. <laughs> and yet, our love for Jesus isn't just one more person that we're supposed to love. Our love for Jesus is, is above all other loves. It's above any other love that we've ever experienced or ever faced. It's not just one more entity, one more relationship in my life that I'm committed to loving. It's loving God and seeing everything in my world and everything in my life as subject to him. Everyone else is under my love, this umbrella of love that God has for me and I have for him. Everything else falls in and under that. Jesus went all in and gave us his all-in love, and he, he's calling us to go all in for him as well. This means loving Jesus with everything that I am. In Hebrew literature, in rabbinic literature, the implication for us is that we would love Jesus with all of who we are and all our stuff. I love that. It just sounds plain and simple. That we would be a people following Jesus who would love Jesus with all of who we are and all our stuff. You can define stuff however you want. Past, present, future, your stuff. Dreams, hopes, aspirations, stuff. Friendships, relationships, family, stuff. Every dollar you make, stuff. Every, every, every appointment and time on your calendar, stuff, stuff, stuff. That we would love God with all of who we are and all of our stuff. That we would respond to him and being all in. And loving Jesus most is living in such a way that every choice I make has everything to do with my loyalty to him. Every choice I make has everything to do with my loyalty to him. When I was a kid growing up, a boy growing up, I, I made decisions based on who I belonged to. I was Dick and Dottie's son. And so there's a certain way that we had to operate and function to be in that family. And I, I lived in loyalty to my mom and dad and in fear, <laughs> right? Now I live in, in, in a space of loyalty. I'm committed exclusively to Terry Jill. And I live exclusively and make decisions based on that relationship. Everything that I do in my life, hopefully, has everything to do with my relationship and my commitment to my wife. There's a loyalty that we have. There's an allegiance. That, that's what love's all about. And that's the love that he's calling us to. And, and in such a way that we would love, love God in such a way that, that everything in our life would, would point back to that. And here's the hard, cold fact. Actually, I'm going to give you two of them. As simple as this is, love God. You get it? Love God with everything you got. Sounds simple, right? It's the hardest thing we'd ever do in our life. It's the hardest thing we're doing today, to love God with everything in me, to love God most. And here's the other hard fact about that. No one will do this for you. Have you learned that? No one's going to do it for you. 
You know, growing up, we try to put boundaries and guidelines around our kids, and that's exactly what Moses is saying to the people of God. He's saying, hey, when, as you move into the new land, I want you to do something. I want you to write this stuff on your heart. I want you to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. I want you to write it on your doorpost. I want you to talk about it when you're sitting down, when you're, when you're getting up, when you're lying down, when you're on a trip, when you get back in your homes. I want you to do this in such a way that your kids get this, that we're passing this down to the next generation. It's critical. It's important that we live this way. But you can't give something away that you don't have. And so he's saying, I want you to live in love in such a way that you're passing this down to the next generation. And yet as hard as I've tried in my life, and if you're a parent, you know what I'm talking about, to pass this down to the next generation, I can't make that kid choose to love Jesus. Just like nobody could make you choose or make you choose right now to love Jesus. That's a decision that's personal. It's between you and him. No one can make you do it. A lot of boundaries, a lot of on-ramps, a lot of guidelines and structures we put in place so that hopefully one day we'll adult well and learn to love Jesus. But, but that's a choice that's so personal and so individual that's between you and God alone. And the work of love of Jesus is the, is the work that we're all called to. Whether you're the youngest person in hearing my voice right now, whether you're 5, 10, 15, 30, 50, 80, 95, I hope I covered everybody, or beyond. That's the choice. That's the decision we all have to make. So how do I know if I'm loving this way? Well, Jesus actually gives us several times. He gives us a grid. How do you know if you're loving God? He says this, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. It goes back to that listening piece. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Here's, here's what I've called you to. Here's what, I've, here's what I've instructed and told you how to live. You'll keep my commandments. And as we've been learning, listening to Jesus is acting in obedience to him. We'll keep his commandments. And I love what Jesus does in Matthew 22. He connects this commandment when he was asked by some religious leaders. He connects one commandment to another, and he summarizes all the law of the prophets and all of his teaching. Because Jesus connects loving God with loving others. He said they're, they're not mutually exclusive. Jesus was being questioned by the religious leaders, experts in the law. And here's what he said in Matthew 22. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the greatest commandment. They were like, sounds familiar. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commands depends all the law of the prophets. Jesus connects loving God with loving others. And he's, he was asked for one commandment, and he goes, yeah, I'm going to give you the whole kit and caboodle. I'm going to give you two. Here, here's what summarizes all of Scripture, all that I've ever taught, is to love God and to love others. Loving God is a personal deal. It's personal. No one can make it happen for you. It, it's something very personal for us. And the personal is lived out and demonstrated in the way in which we love others. It's personal? Absolutely. You have to have a relationship with Jesus. That's the call on my life. That's the call on your life. That's what God's called us to. And the personal relationship we have with Jesus is demonstrated and lived out by the way in which we live and live with others. And I love this intimate personal relationship. You know what I'm talking about? I hope you discover it. I hope you find it. There's nothing, there's nothing more near and dear to my heart than the fact that Jesus actually knows me and loves me. And there's times in my relationship with God that I'm literally blown away by the intimacy that I can experience with him. I spend, and I'm not bragging about this, I'm just saying it took me a long time to get here. I spend three days in the beginning of the year pulling aside, getting away from everybody, anyone, and getting into either a cabin or a hotel room or whatever, and I just spend three days with my scripture, with my Bible open, my journal, and, and, and sitting there listening and asking God, what do you have for me? 
You have access to all my life. Speak, speak into my world. Speak into my life. And I spend the last Monday of every month kind of pulling that stuff out and looking at it again where I'm spending just personal time alone with God. And, 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 and God has met me in such profound ways. It's so personal. There's so many things that God has done in those moments and in those times together that are far too personal to even express sometimes with, with my spouse. It's incredible the intimacy that God longs to have with us. It's beautiful. And sometimes at the end of that day or the end of that time away, here's, here's, what, here's what sneaks in for me. I almost dread it. I feel like this is such a sacred moment. You know what's going to screw it up? People. I got to walk out of this space and go back and deal with people. People mess it up, don't they? Don't they? They really mess it up. They, they, they call so much into question. I have this beautiful, sacred moment, and then I got to go back and live it out in front of other people. It's, it's, it's a crazy tension we live in. Just so you know, if you feel like, hey, I, I get it. Um, people, I, yep. I remember pastors years ago were making this big joke about, hey, the church would be great if it wasn't for people. COVID hit. How, how funny is that? No one's saying that anymore, right? <laughs> Not the case. We love people. <laughs> I remember early on in my marriage, I got married in my late 20s. Early on in my marriage, uh, I, I was in my late 20s, I said, and I, I figured out a couple disciplines that were working for me. Like there were some things I know that if I'm going to walk and follow God, there are certain things that have to be in my life. And so I was, I was clinging to trying to embrace a lot of the, the Christian disciplines of what it means to follow God. And that sounds admirable, but as I look back now, it was legalistic. If I do 10 minutes in the Word, I, do, I mean, you know, then check that box. God's going to do this. And it was this wild kind of understanding of who God is. And what I love about God in our process with Him, He doesn't condemn what we are. He always moves us toward what He longs for us to be. So if you're there, be there. Move forward. Do what you need to do. But I remember sitting down. It was like six months into my marriage. And I sat down with this older, wise friend. And I said, he goes, Mark, what's going on? You just don't seem yourself lately. I was like, yeah, I love Terry. I mean, I love being married for lots of reasons. Dang, she's always there. I mean, she's always there. Like, she's a distraction in my walk with God. And he goes, well, tell me about that. I'm like, man, she's in the, in the morning. I'm trying to get a cup of coffee, get my Bible out. And there she is getting ready for work and curling irons and all this kind of stuff. It's always there. I come home at the end of the day and, and, and there she is. And she asked me about my day. That's painful. That's the worst question you could ask me. I got to live this again? I go through my whole day with you now so you feel loved? Like, that's the deal? That's what we're in? She's always there. He said, man, I, he said, man, I get it. Let, let me sit down. I'm going to give you some advice. I'm going to speak into your life right now. And he reached over and grabbed my hand. He says, dude, you're an idiot. <laughs> you're a daggum idiot. I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, did it ever dawn on you that to love God is to love Terry? To love Terry is to love God? I'm like, no, it really didn't. <laughs> Wish it did. Makes sense hearing you say it out loud, but no, it really didn't. Sometimes we see other people as a distraction to our walk with God. That's not the deal at all. Yes, we're supposed to have a personal relationship with God. Others are not a distraction. They're actually a demonstration of how we love God, how we move toward loving God in the way he's called us to with that all-in kind of love. When, when Jesus said, here's the second commandment, it's like the first, he's saying, love God with that all in, with that most kind of love. And here's what's so encouraging. Here's what blows me away. You're doing it. Folks, you're doing this. In a church our size, there's not a week that goes by that, that a handful of you all, families in our church, aren't in a massive crisis. And this week was much like the week before last and the week before that. People have hit some hard stuff. Some horrible things have happened in people's lives this week. And yet here's what we've heard. Here's what we've seen. And we're blown away as a staff. So many have just showed up. 
showed up with a text, showed up with a phone call, showed up with presents, an embrace, showed up with childcare, showed up with a meal, showed up and, and just had someone's lawn mowed. It's amazing the kind of love that you have for the people that are in your life. And the people that have experienced this love are blown away. They're, they're, they're actually blown away by the, the kindness and the grace of God that you've demonstrated. You've been the hands and the feet of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about. And he's calling us to more and more of that. We let you know a couple weeks ago, as, as the world does, that Kentucky's in need of water. If you go look in that prayer tower when you leave, unless last night, the water's up to here. We're drowning in some water. Good for us. Good for you. Thank you for responding. Uh, that, that room was filled a week ago and already made a, a trip. I think they got trucks and U-Hauls and, and took some of the water up. And, and that'll happen again this week. Some of you changed your schedules and your life patterns to say, no, I just want to take water. I want to go. Some of you are going to Kentucky and, and helping out people. Folks, the, the folks that you're caring for are seeing the hands and feet in the person of Jesus. And, and here's another piece that I've noticed over the years. It's not just the people we're caring for. It's all those in the peripheral we're watching. The impact and the influence of you loving with that all in, I love Jesus most kind of love as it's demonstrated with other people. It's having its effect. It's having its, its cause. And yet there's a tension sometimes that exists between loving God and loving others. It, it, it's just there. It's important that we understand and go back to the definition. To love is to act in loyalty towards. To love is to act in loyalty towards, towards God and toward other people. Love's a verb, it's not an emotion. Last fall, a really good friend of mine, I found myself at odds with this guy. Like, man, what's, what's going on here? And for, I thought, well, it'll pass for a week or two. And then a week or two turned into weeks and months. And it just was really weird. It was this awkward kind of, hey, we're going to be polite, but that's all it's going to be. And I got to tell you, it ticked me off a whole lot. Didn't love this guy too much. In fact, he, he was bugging me. And uh, a, a while went on in this piece, and I thought, well, maybe, you know, some relationships are for a time, and that's fair. Some relationships are only for a time. And I thought, I, I, I think this is supposed to be more than that. And eventually, this guy sat me down, and he, and he said some really hard things to me. Didn't call me an idiot, but probably implied it. <laughs> but he said some really hard things to me. He loved me enough to speak the truth to me. He loved me enough to allow me to speak into his life as well. That, that's the kind of love that I believe God's called us to, that we'd be loyal, that we'd be faithful to other people and demonstrate our love for God. You might be sitting here going, yeah, but you don't know the person in my life. I got a, I got a business partner. I got a friend. I got a, I got a, I got a, yeah, I get it. I get it. And yet God's calling us at whatever level we're at to respond in a place where he's calling us to love. And, and here's Here's the coolest part about being a Christian where all this is concerned. You ready for it? The coolest part is that you don't have to dig down deep and willpower and gut it out and gut it through. He's calling us to, to dig in, but, but here's where he meets us. The power of the Holy Spirit resides in me, resides in you. We have a power. We have, we have strength within us that far exceeds any willpower or good intentions I or you may ever have. The power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, I'm leaving, but I'm going to send you what? I'm going to send you the helper. yes. If you love me, you'll keep my commandments, and I'll ask the Father, and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. We, we have the helper, the, 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 the resident Holy Spirit living within us to help us to even live and love the very people that God's called us to love the way he wants us to. We're not left to do it all in our own strength and our own power. And for me, I'm grateful for that. I cling to it. We cling to it. We need him. As we pass along faith in Jesus to the next generation, it's really important that we know this. Love is learned over time. It's learned over time. In our last series, we talked about faith. So this should sound a little bit familiar to you. Maybe it's our new shtick, right? So faith, 
is built over time. Love is learned over time. Nobody just flips the switch and loves this way. Who flips the switch and loves most? Nobody. Not one of us. It's something that we're called to, and it's something that we learn over time. Following Jesus means we learn to love Jesus most. Loving him with this all-in kind of love. I, I do a handful of weddings, and uh, I got to tell you, if you want me to marry you, it's probably going to sound like the last ceremony I did. I don't have a lot more to say about marriage. After 20, 30, 40 weddings, what, what, what more can I tell you, right? So I kind of go back to the same shtick. And the good news about that is most people aren't listening, <laughs> right? I mean, be honest. You go to a wedding, like, ah, marriage. I mean, the whole thing, right? So there used to be like an hour long. Now they're like 15 minutes. Do your stuff, pastor, and let's get on to the, the celebration. So I don't have a lot to say, which is probably good. But I do say this to couples. Hey, it's a beautiful day. Gown's beautiful. I haven't seen an ugly bride yet. She always looks beautiful to me. Breathtaking. Flowers. Incredible day. And all the feels are there. That's awesome and great. And it's real. And that's a beautiful piece. But the real work starts today. The real work starts as you walk out of this place and hopefully get your thank you, thank you notes written. Please your mom. <laughs> Move on. But after you get the thank you notes written, it's, 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 it's the real road. And if you want a successful marriage, this is one old man's advice. If you want to have a successful marriage, if you want to still be married 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70 years from now, here's what I tell couples. You have to decide today that you're going to become a student of your spouse. You're going to become a student of this other person. What, what, what and how do they know love and experience love? You've got to figure that out and then figure out if you can do that. <laughs> because most couples say, and I, I tell them this in premarital, they don't listen to that either, right? Let's just be honest. <laughs> hey, you need to love each other. Yeah, we love each other. We're so much alike. Well, then why are you going to spend the next five or ten years trying to make the other person just like you? Because that's what we do, right? That's the tension. Back to expectations. I married you because you're different, but I really want you to think and feel like I do because then life would go better, right? That's where we live. That's what we're called. But if you really want a successful marriage, if you want an exclusive relationship and you want to go the long haul, it's really about figuring out how does this person think, feel, and believe, and how do they receive and understand love, and how do I actually speak into that in a way that they can experience it? That's the real work. That's the exclusivity. That, that's, that's the call of loyalty that, that's before us. Paul told us in the scriptures that the closest picture that he can give us to a relationship that Jesus wants to have with his church, which is you and I, us, in relationship with him, is the marriage relationship. He wasn't saying it's the best. It's the closest. The closest picture of intimacy that we can have. And so if that's the case, I'm drilling down on this point. It's incumbent that we become students of the one we love most. That we be a people who are, are committed to loving Jesus most. What does it mean to love Jesus most? It's to know what he says. It's to know the commandments. It's to know what God has said to us and he spelled out for us. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments, and his commandments are not burdensome to us. It, it looks like listening. It looks like reading and listening and understanding and again, as we've talked about, listening isn't just, well, that's an interesting thing. I'd like to try to do that. No, it's, it's moving ourselves into a place of obedience where we're following Jesus. To keep his commandments is to know them. And to know them is to be a student of the word. That's what we're called to pass down. We can only pass down what we know. You, you can't pass down something to somebody else that you don't have any experience with. Our children and our children's children... They need to hear and experience in us an all-in love for Jesus, an all-in loving Jesus most, as best we know how to do today, tomorrow, and the next. So where do I start? Again, simple. You start with the Word. 
How do I know? How do I know what I'm supposed to know? It, it's right there in the scriptures. Become a student of God. Read and study the scriptures in pursuit of how, who God is. Make this a priority. Make this a non-negotiable. And I know you're, you're expecting a pastor to say this in the front of a room. If you can take my title away for a second, as a man of God, as a man who's seeking to strive and, and to know Jesus, you can't know God without knowing the word. And you can say, I know, we're word dependent, spirit and power. We're, we're all that. Are we? Are we? If you look at statistics around the country, and I hope we break statistics, I hope that we're the, the anomaly, but around the country, evangelicals, people who claim to know God and are attending church on a weekly basis, for most people, this is the only time they're spending in the Word. You're, you're, you're actually putting a lot of pressure on a 35-minute chat to be, this is the only space and time I'm going to be in the Word. Folks, here's the deal. If you're going to love Jesus most, if you're really going to love him most, you need to know who he is. And to find out who he is, he's told you who he is. He, he describes and defines who he is from Genesis to Revelation. To, to know Jesus and to know him most is to be a people of the word. We've got to make a decision that this is something I'm committed to. It's not just a great idea and made a good talk on a weekend. It, it's, it's a reality that, that, that God's stirring in my heart and calling me to a new place in a new space. That I'd be a person that's pursuing the knowledge of God and finding that in a non-negotiable place in the Word. And if you think I'm trying to throw guilt and shame on you, I'm not. That's the evil one. I'm trying to call us to something. God's always calling us to something. He's not pointing back. He's calling us to something. I was a youth pastor back in the day, and, and I thought I'd figured some stuff out. And uh, the reality is, I didn't. You know, I, I was preparing for a talk on Wednesday nights most weeks, and that was my time in the Word. And so I spent a lot of time in the Word preparing for those talks, and I counted that as, that's my, that's my devotional time. I'm not saying you get all legalistic, but I spent more time doing the work of the ministry than working at the heart. Do you hear that? There's a difference. I, I was preparing a talk so that I could help other people, and yet not spending the time I needed to spend with God to do the work of my heart, that I'd have a personal relationship with him, something in me, something in the well that's being filled so that when I have an opportunity to give, there's something there to pull from. Again, you can't give what you don't have. And God's given us a beautiful book, the Scriptures, and, and in the Scriptures has outlined and defined who he is and wants us to know him. So, Again, a, a nod to my legalism in the past. I had to trick myself to do what I know I should do. Ever do that? I have values. and I, So I knew that I should be a person of the word. And, and one day, it, it hit me upside the head. And I believe it was the Holy Spirit, in a kind way, said to me, in a very clear way, you wouldn't stand anyone else up if you had an appointment at 9 o'clock. You wouldn't stand anyone else up. In fact, Mark, you'd be five minutes early. Me, I'm, I'm hit and miss with you. True. So I had to... I had to legalistically make myself do, put training wheels on what I know I should do. And so back in the day, I didn't have a cell phone back then. I had a day timer. So in the day timer at 6 o'clock in the morning, I put God. I was there five minutes early every day because I'm legalistic. Give me the list. I'll do it. I'll check the list off. And so I'm not, talk, I'm not calling you to legalism, but I'm, I'm telling you this. That worked for me. Whatever works for you, you got to figure it out. We have to figure it out. That's adulting. That's stepping up. That's stepping into a relationship with God that he's called us to. Like, what does it mean for me to be consistently in the word of God so that I know God, so that I know who he is? And so his, the knowledge of who he is continues to transform and permeate all that I am. Where do I start? I start with a, a commitment to the word of God. We work hard each week. Several people work hard each week to, to actually give you some, 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 some on-ramps to, to being in the word. And I think they're great on-ramps. In fact, if you just did these, it'd be amazing. Did you get a bulletin when you came in? 
If you open your bulletin, you, turn, you open it up on the right side. I know there's a lot of words there. That, that, that's what we call a live it out section. You can actually take that section and, and, and walk that thing through Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. You can actually be a person who's in the word. We're, we're trying to give you some on-ramps. And here's the deal. We can lead you to water. Can't make you drink. Can't make you do it. But that we would be a people, a people of God who are actually pursuing him in such a way that we know who he is. And here's what I don't want you to miss. We're not calling you to pass down reading your Bible and praying. Hey, for the next generation, be a disciple of God. Read your Bible and pray. That's not what, that, that, if you've heard that, you've heard wrong. Hear this, and I'm going to get all loud. We're calling you to pass down a love for God that comes from reading your Bible and praying. That you'd be a person who is so committed to the, the person of Christ himself that you'd want to know who he is, that we'd be in relationship with him, that we'd read our Bible, that we'd spend time praying and listening to him, that we'd fall more deeply in love with him. And this love for God that's an all-in, most kind of love that continues to own more and more of us as we pursue Jesus would be passed down to the next generation. That's what I long for my kids to have. That's what I long for their kids to have, that they would know and love Jesus. That's what we're calling us to do. And so I hope, I hope and pray that this week God finds us more and more living in such a way. We love because Jesus first loved us. Love is based on love. This is the gospel. Love is based on love. We love because God first loved us. And John amplifies this in, the, in his message in these words in 1 John chapter 4. He says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. And this is the love of God was manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a perpetuation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. We love because God first loved us. That's who we are. As followers of Jesus, that's who we are. And we love God most. The Shema. God gave that to Moses to give to the people of God. And I wish we could look back at their history and say, hey, they prayed this twice a day and their lives were amazing. Well, you can read the rest of the Bible. They, they tripped over themselves just as much as you and I trip over ourselves day in and day out. And yet here's the deal. They, they, they were reminding themselves and praying a prayer and, 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 and committing to a, a, an allegiance and a loyalty to God consistently. Can you imagine if they hadn't done that where they would have been? Twice a day. They were, they were committing themselves to remembering that they are to love God and love God most and love God first. I don't know if they still do this in school, but back in the day when I was in school, talking about the 70s, 60s, after the teacher took attendance, what'd they do next? I pledge allegiance to the flag. I mean, we, we said the Pledge of Allegiance. Do they still do that in school? Anybody? Yeah. Okay, good deal. Didn't know that was just a Jersey thing. I don't know. And pledge allegiance. As followers of Jesus, let us intentionally and consistently pledge our allegiance to him. And so what's that look like? Go back to the, the basics here. It looks like for me and for you, deciding, making a choice to be a student of Jesus. Making a choice, a conscientious choice to be a student of Jesus. That we'd find that unharried space in our world and our life to go, I'm, I'm going to make this a priority. It's a brand new school year. This is for anyone from five to all the way up. It's a brand new school year. You're, you're, you're actually recreating rhythms and, and schedules and structures. A lot of you with families are doing that. Okay, so where, where in that space and time is there a space for you to have an unhurried place where you're going to be a student of Jesus, where you're going to open the word, where you're going to actually sit and go, God, what do you have to say to me? I, I want to hear from you. 
God actually speaks. We believe God speaks. We believe as listening, as we spend time listening in the discipline of listening, God speaks back. If you want to know more about that, this Wednesday night, we got a, we got a, a session here on the Harrison Lane campus where it's going to help families just walk through, what does it mean to hear from God? What does it mean to listen and to hear the voice of God? That we'd be a people that are doing that. And then I think consistently in our walk with him, as we think about our relationship with him, nobody does this once and checks a box. We should be asking ourselves this question. Do I love Jesus most? Let me ask you, do you love Jesus most? Is, is he who you love most? Perhaps some of you would say, yeah, and others are like, I'm not really sure. Well, that's a question we ought to be wrestling with. That, that's, that's a tension place I, I believe God's calling us to. We ought to be thinking through. And so well, what are the things you think first of in the morning? What are the things you think about at night? What wakes you up at 3 a.m.? Like woke me up last night at 3 a.m. What are the things that are, that are, are, are grasping for my attention and my focus? And they're not all bad things. A lot of them are really great things. But Jesus is saying, do, do you love me most? H- have you stopped long enough to ask that question? We're going to stop long enough right now across all of our venues and all of our spaces and ask that question. Let me ask you to bow your heads. Jesus, first of all, thank you for loving us. Thank you for the relationship we have with you. God, you went all in and call us to go all in. And so we get that intellectually. And we pause right now to go and ask you, is that true of where I am right now? Is that true of where we are right now? We think about our life. We think about where we spend our energy and our time, our thoughts. Is it you? Is it you we love most? And if it's not, would, would, would you, by the work and the power of your very spirit, would, would you reveal to us what and who that is right now in these quiet moments? God, we confess to you it's not our heart that we would love anything more than you. Forgive us for those places and spaces in our world and our life where we've done that. We've traded, um, we've traded off something for less than the best, than the most. We do love you. We love you most. Would you show us how to live that way? In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen? Here's your next and last next step for the week. If the Israelites could pray a long prayer and a declaration of allegiance and an obedience to God three times a day, two times a day. We're inviting you to pray three times a day. I've been doing this, been putting on my timer. Nine o'clock, 12 o'clock, three o'clock, maybe attach it to a meal. Do what you need to do to make sure it's happening in your life. But, but a simple prayer, you can do this even when you're um, in a conversation with somebody, you can hear your timer go off and ask, ask Jesus this question. Jesus, do I love you most? Do I love you most? What would that look like in this space I'm in right now? And I promise you, at 9 o'clock, 12 o'clock, and 3 o'clock, there's probably different things that are on your platform, different things that are in your world and your schedule that that God will show you, like, yeah, you you do, or or, here's where you can make an adjustment and alignment, that we'd be a people who take ownership of our relationship, this exclusive relationship we, we have with God, and love none other but to love Him most. I hope you'll do that this week. I hope you'll pray. I hope you'll pray with us. I hope you'll be encouraged that the rest of us are praying right along with you and asking God the very same question. I'll say this in closing. 
Your personal relationship with God is critical to us because we care about your walk with Jesus, but we also care about our walk with Jesus. We can't be a people together in, in really loving Jesus most and reaching the very world God's called us to reach if we are not loving Jesus most. It's incumbent upon you for your own walk with God, for your own family, but for us as a church. There's, there's nothing more that we could do right now than to actually declare our love for Jesus than to stand and worship the very one. Let's, let's stand and worship Jesus.